Our staff was meeting this week and we were talking about casting the vision because we are like again at 80 to 90 percent full. How many of you had a hard time finding a parking spot today? I mean, just, just raise your hands high. It's all in this section, I understand. But that's why you're in that section, because you had a hard time finding a parking place, right? That's right. So we're, we're again, approaching capacity. Uh, the last couple of weeks, there have been just tons of children, uh, over 150 kids two weeks ago, and that's just downstairs. <laughs> so the, the cry is for we need more workers with our children. Uh, so if you're called to do that, Listen, you can go back and watch the message on live stream. Uh, we would love for you to be involved with our children. Um, so how many of you know that with, there is parking down on the river? You can actually park going in on uh, Concho Avenue where Magdalene dead ends, and there's a big, long parking lot that swirls around almost to the bridge over here that you can park there, and then you can walk, have this beautiful walk up the sidewalk in the park to the church building. I timed it one time. It's a three-minute walk. And I know that's a great sacrifice for Christ. Since some people walk for miles and days to get to a church service, and we go, I can't park close enough. I'm not going back to that church because I had to park three blocks away. Oh, Jesus, I'm just sacrificed. You know, see, we don't really know what sacrifice is. We don't really know what suffering is. And so the scriptures that I'm reading today talks about our sufferings with Christ. And I'm going, but God, we don't know that yet. And I think, I think that's why our culture in America in, as Christians is we're kind of soft. Because we haven't been challenged in a lot of areas. We've not been persecuted. Oh, we think we've been persecuted when somebody says, you what? You're a Christian? Oh, and then we draw back. Well, you know, and that's persecution. No, that's not persecution. They said, do you love Christ? Yeah, that's what persecution is. You love Christ, I'm going to lock you up. And so we're going to, we're going to look at the life of Paul today because the, the bottom line is to uh, this, whole, this whole series is God has called us to know him intimately, personally. And it's a continual drawing in close. It's a continual learning. It's not like you got to, went to first grade and you got it all in first grade. You had to go to second and third and some of you made it to fourth and fifth, right? But we're, we're, it's a continual progression of knowing. So when we say to know God, gnosko, it, it's more than, yeah, I've been to Sunday school. I went to Bible, I went to VBS and I learned about Jesus. He died on the cross and he rose from the dead and he, he's, he lives in heaven and he loves me and, he, and, and I've given my life to him. It's way more than that, guys. It's walking this walk out to the honor and the glory of God. You see, we, we think that it, just because we've got our so-called ticket punched to heaven and we're good to go, that that's enough. And God never said that that was enough. He never in his word said, that's all I want from you. I guarantee you, if the thief on the cross had not died on the cross and God had said Jesus had saved him that day and they would have decided, let us let him down. I, I promise you that he would not have been said, now you go back and live your criminal lifestyle. He would have gotten down off that cross and lived for Jesus the rest of his life until he had to go and be with Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. And so if you're not interested in that, you're probably not going to like this sermon. You're probably not going to like this church. If you want the, the easy, the easy uh, uh, marshmallow gospel, you're not going to get it here. And I, I like marshmallows too, but I don't like marshmallow gospel. I, I want the real deal. I want, I want the meat. 
Some of you have been drinking and sucking, you know, the bottle too long. And God's calling you to go to the meat. Man, if I go to the buffet and they've got a, if they've got some milk there sitting there and that's all they got, but then down at the other end of the buffet, if they got sirloin steak, I'm going to say, you can have milk. I want the sirloin. So I want to challenge you today. Move past the mindset that you've arrived because you have not arrived. I have not arrived. Billy Graham has not arrived. Franklin Graham has not arrived. We have not arrived yet. We should still be on this adventure of knowing God. And there's so many aspects to who God is. Today we're going to be talking about knowing Christ. We're going to to get into the facet of Christ because it's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But even Jesus had different facets of his life. And one of his titles was Christ. The Anointed One, Messiah. And so we're going to look at that this morning. How does that apply to our lives? Okay, are you interested? Okay, cool. Gnosko means to know, to learn, to know, to come to know, to get a knowledge of, to perceive, to feel, to become known, understand, have knowledge of, to become acquainted with. And then Paul says in this very, in chapter 3 of Philippians, now today I'm going to be reading from a different translation. It is, it, it is the Amplified Classic Version. And it paints such a beautiful picture of what God wants me to share with you this morning. So if you've got your Bible, and you might want to look on the screen, because this goes a lot more in-depth than probably what you have in your NIV or in your New King James or whatever whatever you use. But Paul says in verse 10, he says, For my determined purpose is that I may know Him. My, My purpose... The reason I'm here is to know him. He says that. He says, I am going for him. I am going to know him. I want to know him. We sang about it. I want to know you. I want to see your... We're sitting here singing this. And some of you are going, yeah, I sing it, but I don't really believe it. And God wants you to start believing that. He wants you to start getting that in your spirit, that there is more to know about him than you already think you know. There's more to him than I know. And you know what? There's more to him than we will never know until we see him face to face. Until we arrive to that place, guys, it's going to be to your deathbed. Unless the rapture comes first. Until your deathbed, you should still be hungering and thirsting for, for kingdom, for Christ, for the principles of God, for knowing who he is and what he wants to and expects of your life. You know, he has an expectation of your life. Did you know that? You're not robots. He didn't put you on this earth just to exist. And I don't know what your job is today, but listen, your job is just a job. But your job, wherever he's placed you in the kingdom, it's more than your job. You have a kingdom purpose wherever you're planted. So in your Bibles, turn to Philippians 3. There's no like subtitles and all that, no headings. So if you want to take notes, you just have to figure out how to take them. This is not a three-point, four-point, five-point sermon, okay? Because this is a beautiful passage. And let me just tell you, if you, Philippians is probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. Anybody else love Philippians? 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 You know why? Because it's such a positive book. He loves these people of Philippi, and he just he keeps telling them this is such, such a great group of people. And that, that's what I would say to you. You're a great group of people. Yeah, are y'all willing to go back to two services with that... Would that ruffle your feathers if we had to go to two services again? Okay, just checking. You heard it here. Okay, verse 1. For the rest, 
Paul actually saying, or finally, my brethren, delight yourselves in the Lord and continue to rejoice that you are in him. To keep writing to you over and over the same things is not irksome to me, and it is a precaution for your safety. Now, I thought, that's interesting. He said, it's to, for me to tell you over and over and remind you of who Jesus is, to remind you of, of the goodness of God, he said, that doesn't get boring to me. I, I don't get tired of coming up here and preaching. I, I don't get tired of it. I look forward to every Sunday that I preach. I love to come up here and impart the Word of God and share the Word of God. And listen, it doesn't get boring. It's not irksome for me. But because he says it's for your safety. You think about your safety this morning. God wants to protect you. But a part of that protection is you being reminded over and over and over of who you are in Christ. That's your safety. That's your safety net. In other words, listen, because the way he flows into verse 2, you'll see why he said that. Look out for those dogs, Judaizers, legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh or circumcised. Now, see, we may not have Judaizers today. Anybody know a Judaizer in your neighborhood? You may not know a Judaizer, okay? But you have legalism all around you. That's what he, he speaks of as dogs. That's nice, isn't it? Look out for those dogs, the legalists. Those that, uh, the actual, the meaning therefore when he talks about dogs is people of impure minds. You see, a legalist doesn't have a pure mind. Y'all know what a legalist is? A legalist is somebody that believes you can work to earn your salvation and you work to keep your salvation. And I deal with it head on all the time. I had to deal with it head on for myself. Many years ago, I had to come to the realization, oh, there's a, really, there's amazing grace? I just thought it was a cool song. But there is grace that we are saved by grace, church, not of works, because if we do it by works, he said, then we could boast of it. But we can't boast of what Jesus has done for us. We can't, I mean, we can't boast of what we've done. We can only boast of what he's done for us. Amen? And that's called grace. We hide ourselves in the cross. We hide ourselves in Christ. And once you start living a life of the do's and the don'ts and, and pointing out everybody else's fault, you have slipped back into legalism if you haven't come out of it. You go into a thing called legalism. And I want to tell you, legalist Christians are the most miserable people I've ever been around. Can, do you know what I'm talking about? They point out all your faults. They point out all your failures. They're really quick to judge you. And the Word of God said, here's the problem with legalism. The, the way you judge is the way you're going to be judged. Man, I don't want to go there. I am not the one that's going to say, oh, I know oh, so-and-so is going to heaven, but I know old Bill, man, he, he's going to hell because I saw him do something and I know it wasn't godly. And we start figuring out who's, who's good and who's bad. Listen, that is God's job. It's not your job. It's not my job. So he said, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for those who would say, come back to Judaism. We need to get you circumcised so you can be a proper Christian. And I'm 40 years old. Somebody wants to circumcise me. After I give my life to Christ, I say, get away from me. <laughs> get behind me, Satan. Certainly not in front of me. Living in legalism, I want to tell you what living in legalism will do. It will keep you from knowing God. It will keep you from an intimate, personal relationship with Him because it will all be impersonal. Okay? So can we move on from there? Verse 3. 
For we Christians are the true circumcision. That circumcision is cutting the heart. That's opening us up to know him. Okay? So he says, we are of the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and by the spirit of God and exult and glory and pride ourselves in Jesus Christ and put no confidence or dependence on what we are in the flesh, on outward privileges and physical advantages and external appearances. In other words, the only pride that we can ever have that's a good kind of pride is our pride in Jesus Christ. When you start being proud of yourself or what you've accomplished, you walk back into legalism. You walk back into an area where God can't really bless you. When you start walking in pride, I'm going to tell you this. The enemy does his best work in your life. Verse 4. Though for myself I have at least grounds to rely on the flesh. If any other man considers that he has or seems to have reason to rely on the flesh and his physical and outward advantages, I have still more. It almost sounds like he's going, hey, now look at me. I'm the man. Circumcised when I was eight days old of the race of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew and the son of Hebrews. As to the observance of the law, I was of the party of the Pharisees. As to my zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And by the law, standards of righteousness, supposed justice, uprightness and right standing with God, I was proven to be blameless. And no fault was found in me. Yippee-ki-yay, I am so important. That's what he was saying. This is who he used to be. That was his secular resume. How many of you have ever had to do a resume? Whoo, most everybody. You know, they've got all these points on a resume that you've got to do, right? You've got to tell them your past. You know, oh, really, you don't want to go there. So you, you don't tell them all of your past. You only tell them the good past. And then you have to tell them your experience of whatever job you're looking for. You're trying to write down your experience. You don't tell them about your bad experience. Well, I got fired and fired and fired and fired. No, oh, I worked here for three years, you know. You tell them your good things on your resume because you want to get the job, right? Well, all of us have a resume. We have a secular resume, our fleshly resume. Any of you ever get a job and they looked at your resume and they said, man, you're the guy we want, you're the lady we want for this job. Your resume is impressive, you know? And then they do a background check. I'm sorry, I can't have you. Because <laughs> they're looking at your character. And so Paul said, if you want to look at me, if you, want to, if you don't think I have a basis for, for, for speaking the way I speak, I want you to know what my resume used to be and what it used to look like. But then he says this, verse 7, But whatever form of things I had that might have been gains to me, I have come to consider as one combined loss for Christ's sake. In other words, all that stuff, it came to nada, zero, zilch. And here's the thing, our resumes, apart from Christ, come to nada, zero, zilch. You know, uh, we might think we're all that in a bag of chips. I can do this, I'm, I'm, I've graduated. Listen, if Christ is not a part of your resume, then all of that is zero. If he's not first in your life, listen, all these other things. Paul says, all that other stuff that I had gained, that I thought I had gained, they amounted to nothing. And he goes on to say even more. He says, yes, furthermore, I count everything as lost compared to the possession of the priceless privilege. I love this wording. Listen to this. The overwhelming preciousness, the surpassing worth and supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord and of progressively becoming more deeply and intimately acquainted with Him 
Him, of perceiving and recognizing and understanding Him more fully and clearly. If you want to go after some scriptures to learn, look at this version and say, is that me? Is that the way I'm going after God? Do I count everything else as lost except for knowing Him? Because that is pretty powerful, wouldn't you say? He says, for His sake I have lost everything and considered all to be mere rubbish, refuge, dregs. And if you really go to the original, He is talking about poop. Dung. Crud. He said, all that that I have accomplished, it doesn't amount to anything more than that. That you try to get your kids to pick up in the backyard. Right? In order that I may win or gain Christ, the anointed one. He wanted to gain, he wanted to gain Christ, the anointed one. Say Christ, the anointed one. Remember last week we talked about how do we know our identity in Christ? How, how do we come to know our identity in Christ if we don't know Christ? Because we're made in His image. So this is a part of that. The more we understand who Christ is and we understand that Christ is in us through the power of the Holy Spirit, then we should look more like Christ, the Anointed One. Shouldn't we? Some of you are pretty sure of that. Some of you are not so sure. Here's what the single title Christ means in the Greek. It's pronounced Christos. Say Christos. Christos. is sometimes used to signify the one, Jesus, who by His Holy Spirit and power indwells believers. And listen to this. And molds their character in conformity to His likeness. You've been molded lately into His likeness? He wants to mold you. See, that's what He does within you. Once you invite Him in and you give Him the freedom to mold you. Listen, He will not do what you won't let Him do. He will not cross the line, but He wants to mold you. So when you understand the anointed one, the Christ lives within you, then this is what He wants to do in you and through you as the rest of your life progresses. He wants to mold you. Listen, I've got three scriptures. I found so many, but I found three that line up with this. Romans 8.10. But if Christ lives in you, does Christ live in you? If He lives in you, then although your natural body is dead by reason of sin and guilt, the Spirit is alive because of the righteousness that He imputes to you. We in and of ourselves are not righteous, correct? The only way we are in right standing with God is because Jesus Christ stands between us and Him. He imputes righteousness to us. We don't deserve it. Say, He imputes righteousness to me. So He gives it to you. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children for whom I am again suffering birth pangs until Christ is completely and permanently formed, molded within you. God wants to mold you. We had all these children up here this morning. We said, you want to raise them in the ways of the Lord? You know what you're doing? You're molding them. You're, 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 you're teaching them right from wrong. You're teaching them all the little things. You're telling, you start after teaching them how to, how to potty train them. You teach them how to use a spoon. And little things, little, little by little, how to crawl, how to walk. And they start learning these things. But you know what mom and dad are doing all along the way? They're molding them. And that's what Holy Spirit wants to do. And us as Christians, He wants us to be molded into His image. Ephesians 3.17 said, May Christ, again, this is Christ, the Anointed One, Messiah, through your faith actually dwell, settle down, abide, make His permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep in love and founded securely on love. Love is the core. 
Love is the core of Christ. And what he wants to do in you is bring that love out. I remember Bill Johnson said the Holy Spirit was in you and he wants to get out. <laughs> he wants to have an expression in your life. That's what he means. You know, you have him in here, but some people just keep him bottled up in here and he's just mine and me and him were fine and, and I don't want to really affect anybody. I don't want to affect the kingdom for God because me and, me and Jesus, we're tight. We're like this. And you know what I would say to you? Baloney. Or the Hebrew, balagna. That still works. Baloney's Greek. I can't resist that one. Because you know what we do? We, we want to suppress what God wants to release. He wants to release something in every one of us. We, we pray for people. You know, they say, well, I don't understand this tongues thing. And, you know, if I get baptized in the Holy Spirit, does that mean I'm going to be walking through the supermarket and all of a sudden go, ba -da -ba -da -ba -da -ba, you know, you know yabba -da -ba -do, and people are going to look at me crazy. And, or they, they, they pray. They say, well, I want, the, I want the gift of tongues. Okay, I'm ready, Lord. <laughs> and nothing happens because you know why? They don't exercise their will. They don't, they don't open their mouth, their mouth and speak. It, there's no, it, we think there's a mystery to it, but it's just actually obeying God, receiving the gifts by faith and beginning to act and, and, and release those gifts. And he said, here's the thing, Mary Lou and I, we've read these books, man, we studied it because we didn't used to believe in that stuff without it's from the devil. But it's already within you, and all he wants to do is let you release it. You don't have to work at it. Man, if you have to work at it, it's sure no fun, right? So where were we? The, the title Christ also means anointed one, and the anointing was always reserved for who? Kings and priests. Hmm. Wouldn't it be important that we grasp the fact that if we are, that Christ is in us, that we are kings and priests. Wouldn't that be important for us to understand and get to know who he is? Because the Bible says that he's a king and a priest, but it also says, guess who else is a king and a priest? It says, we are. Say, I'm a king. Say, so women feel uncomfortable with that. I'm a queen. No, you're king. Remember, we're all sons. We're all sons. I guess we can, we talked about it earlier with the ladies in the, in the kitchen. And we call ladies guys now. So I guess it works. We're all kings. We're all priests. Because of Christ living in us. Revelation 1.6. Listen, this is Jesus. He says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us, little K and little P, kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we're kings and priests. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we rule the roots? No, we're part of the king. We, we still submit to the king, capital K. But we have an advantage as believers to have a kingly authority about us. Listen, kings have authority. God says, I've given you all authority. He gave it to Jesus, and Jesus in turn gave it to us. So kings have authority. And once you understand you have authority, then you don't walk around like this little meek, beaten up little Christian person. I'm just, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I just hope I can just barely get in and touch the hymn. Listen, that's not who we are. I heard that all my life, and this stinks. We are the righteousness of Christ. We are kings, and we are priests. 
Listen to what he says in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen generation. Say, I'm a chosen generation. Listen to this. It's good. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. His own special people. Say, I'm special. See, some of you didn't say you're special. You don't think you're special. Say, I'm special. I'm special because God said I am. I'm special because God says I am. Seriously. What does Ron say? Seriously, dude, take take some, eat some M&Ms or something. Get some sugar in your body. You know why I know some of you don't feel like you're special? Because your life is, is proven it. You feel unworthy. You feel unqualified. And again, if you know Jesus Christ, then you're really not, you don't really know who he is in you. And that's what this is all about. I, I want to see I want to see 500 people in here that know who they are in Christ. 500 people can change the world. I mean, change the world with 11 guys, and then he added another one, and then another one when he added Paul. Change the world with 13 guys. He could use 500 that are sold out to him. Now, I know the world wasn't as big back then, but we could at least affect San Angelo, couldn't we? If we walked out of here this morning going, wow, I've got king blood in me. I'm royalty. I'm royal. We are. You know, and we're priests. We don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go and offer a bull or a ram or a goat to the priest. We don't have to, and to go into the Holy of Holies. By, uh, the blood of Jesus was our access. The, te- the, the temple, of the veil was torn apart so we could access him. So we can enter in the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness, because we're priests. You don't have to go to a priest. We are priests. But don't get one of those funny collars, uh-uh. We're priests. I'm not making that up. It's in the Bible. Verse 9, And that I may actually be found and known as in Him. Wow, now that's the kind of resume I want to have. I want people to say, I know who you are. Christ lives in you. Not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands. Ritualistic uprightness, supposed right standing with God that's acquired, thus acquired. But possessing that genuine righteousness, say genuine righteousness, which comes through faith, okay? Comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. And that's called grace. That's how we get there. Amen. Thank you. So we can either have self-achieved or genuine righteousness. So he starts out the chapter, watch out for those guys that have self-achieved righteousness. They're not genuine. They're Judaizers. They're legalists. They're dogs. They're mischief makers. Guys, they're going to disrupt your life. And then we get to this beautiful statement that Paul makes. For my determined purpose. Say determined purpose. Is that I may know him. Is that I may know him. Say that. That I may know him. Now again, this is the amplified classic. That I may progressively. What does progressively mean? Continual. Okay. 
become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving, recognizing, and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. That I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which it exerts over believers, that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death, in the hope that if possible, I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. Mary Lou and I, on August the 12th of this year, we celebrated 45 years of marriage. You ask me now if I know more about her. Do I know her better now than I knew her when we had celebrated one year? What do you think? Of course. I know her a lot better. The things that we used to think were so important in her life, we don't think is so important anymore. You know what I'm talking about? We thought status was really important. We thought... Certain kind of cars were very important. We thought certain kind of jobs, certain kind of positions, we thought they were important. I don't, not, not that I'm saying we went after those and like, we were still, we were, we loved God, we served in the church, but we had a mixture there. You know what I'm talking about? And Paul said, all those things I count for dung, all those things that I thought I had accomplished, they're, they're just dog poop. Except for continually knowing, progressively knowing, knowing him more intimately now than I did yesterday. That's what he said I'm after. And he says this in this passage. To know Christ is to know his resurrection power. Say power. What does resurrection power even mean? What is he talking about? Here's what the resurrection power represents to us as Christians. It represents the supernatural power of God to raise the dead. The resurrection power raised Jesus Christ from what? The dead. Resurrection power. What else does resurrection power mean for us as Christians? It represents the power of transformation and renewal in our lives. I got to do a wedding yesterday afternoon. And I see men, they, their faith, they came to church after their wedding. Woo! I saw transformed lives. Mary Lou and I were like, is that a Cane's Cove? You ever been out to Cane's Cove? It was like beautiful. It's around the lake. It's a gazebo there. And I just, I was sat down. I had my Bible and I was kind of preparing. And, and uh, the music started. They had this beautiful, I love piano music, like instrumental piano music. And there, the music was playing, and I was just sitting there, and I was just reflecting on the goodness of God, and how He transforms lives, and and how He takes old things that are that are that are crumpled up and and, and old, and and He makes them new, like He did this morning in the baptismal waters. He He took John and Melissa, and He makes us new, and He takes the old, and He just says, "No, no, no more." And I, I was uh, merely said, she, she said, "I felt the same way. I just felt the same way of uh, the presence of God." He wants us to know Him. And not just to know Him, but know the power of His resurrection. The power of resurrection represents eternal hope. It also represents the wonder, the mystery of God. And then He said that I may also share in His sufferings to be continually transformed. And I shared a little bit about that in the opening. It was just kind of on my heart. But if there's one reason I think American Christians aren't continually transformed is because we're not facing adversity very much. And I'm not asking for it. <laughs> oh, bring it on. No, Mm-mm. not going to go there. I just understand that Paul was in a different place than we are. 
He was in prison, not because he had broke the law. He was in prison because he was loved Jesus. So that's the kind of that's the kind of persecution he was going through. And he says the more persecution came, the more he was transformed. You know why? Because he didn't back down from the calling on his life. And we back away when somebody points a finger at us. We bow our heads at a football game, and other you think people are going to look at you funny because we've taken that out. Verse 12. Listen, this keeps getting better. Not that I have attained this ideal, or have been already been made perfect, but I press on to lay hold of, grasp, and make my own that for which Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, has laid hold of me and made me his own. He made you his own. I do not consider, brethren, that I have captured and made it my own yet, but one thing I do it is my one aspiration, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the supreme and heavenly prize to which God in Christ Jesus is calling us upward. That's a whole sermon right there. Again, it's a continual knowing, pressing on. He pressed on. He pressed on. He said, I have not arrived yet. Don't we think that he arrived? When you read scriptures, don't we think, Paul, if anybody's arrived, it's you. And he said, no, I haven't attained it all yet. I haven't reached it yet. I'm still pressing on. Listen, if he needs to press on, we really need to press on. You know what Paul was saying? There's no turning back. He said, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm in it till I die. When Spain led the world in the 15th century, they had a coin, and, and on their national coin, it was like national arrogance because it said, nay plus ultra, which meant nothing further. Well, guess what? They discovered there was another world. There was a new world. And so Spain had to change the inscription on their new coinage Plus ultra, meaning more beyond. Some Christians, listen, hear me, listen to me, church. Some Christians, and maybe it's you here today, you said nothing more. I've got, I've attained, I'm going to heaven, that's it, I'm good. But men, here's the challenge I would say to you, the challenge that God gave me, the challenge that he gave my wife, back when we turned 47 years of age, there's more beyond. There's more beyond. Quit saying I'm done. Quit saying the gifts are dead. Quit saying that there's nothing left. I've got so much more for you that you can't even imagine. I'm going to do more than you can ask or imagine. See, some of you are stuck in your job. You're stuck when you're with your family. You're stuck in relationships. You're stuck in finances. You're just stuck. And you're, think, you're thinking there's no more. This has got to be it. Well, we came to that place. Is this it, God? Because if this is it, I just want to run and bang my head against the wall. Because there's got to be more. And he said, well, I'm so glad you asked. That's what he will do if you'll say, God, I'm stuck here. I want the more. He'll say, I'm glad you asked. And he wants to give you the more. He wants to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants to flood you with his love like you've never been flooded before. He wants to flood you with his power like you've never never been flooded before. That you walk out of this place a changed person wanting to see the kingdom advance in power. That's what he wants. Say, I want more beyond. 
You can say that all you want to, but unless you want it, it doesn't matter. But get it in your spirit. He says, forgetting what lies behind. You know, when he says that, he's not just talking about the bad things. We always use, we usually assume forgetting what's behind. I press forward. Listen, sometimes the, the good things in your past can get you to go back. I want to go back. I want to go back to the good things in my life. I, I'm, I, this is too tough. This is, uh, you know, this is a war. This is a battle zone. I, I don't feel like I'm a very good soldier. I just want to go back and get in the bunker and hide a little while. So we'd like to go back to our past. Sometimes our past is so bad that we, we look back at our past. So well, because of my past, I really can't go forward because I'm this and I'm that. And God says, no, I've made you a new creation. Do not let your past dictate your future. And the prize, listen, here's what is the prize here. The prize is the upward call of God. The prize is going up. It's going after. It's seeking. It's asking. It's knocking. What is the prize in your life? What are you going after in the kingdom of God? And finally, what time do the Cowboys play today? Huh? At noon? Has it gotten that bad for them? They're playing at noon. Seriously. Well, they, you know, they don't actually start playing until the second half anyway. I can tell all the fans, well, the Cowboys, fans, ooh. I want to finish up 15 and 16. This is so important you get, you get this today. So let those of us who are spiritually mature and full-grown have this mind. I know many of you in this place are spiritually mature. You're, you're full-grown in your faith. Doesn't mean you've arrived, but you, you're mature, mature believers. We don't let people be on the ministry team that are not mature believers, okay? We just don't say, I want to pray for people. No, we want to see if you're a mature believer. That's just doing the right thing. Do you want some baby Christian up here praying over you? I don't think so, because they can pray the wrong things. It says, let those of us who are spiritually mature and full-grown have this mind and hold these convictions. And if in any respect you have a different attitude of mind, God will make that clear to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained and walk and order our lives by that. This is important. Knowing Him in our way, how He's leading us, is so important that we also allow others to know Him in their way, at their pace. It gets real easy if you, man, you're on fire for Jesus. Let's just say you came back from a camp or a conference. And, man, you're coming back, but your your friend, they're kind of lagging behind, and you kind of want to drag them. You want to fix them. You want to maneuver them. You want to manipulate them to walk where you're walking. Oh, man, I got it all. I got the gifts. I got this. You need to come on. You need to do this. You need to do that. Listen, everybody has their own walk. And Paul's saying, don't press people, don't force people to walk the way you're walking. Matter of fact, some of your walk might not be so good. Let them learn at that, that the pace that the Holy Spirit is working in their lives. Does that mean you can't encourage them? Not at all. You encourage them. But you don't judge them at where they're at in their walk. Because some people are babies. The Bible speaks of it. They're still in the milk. But what do we do? We don't, we don't want the babies to stay in the milk. But we encourage them. We teach them. We train them. But we don't force them. You know what that means? That, that means don't become self-righteous. Don't become holier than thou. Don't, thumb, don't put your thumbs in your, in your vest and you go, well, I've got Jesus and I wish you had him too. Like, I got him, you know? No. We, we start loving people where they're at. And, and love is the key to all of this. 
It's loving them. Wanting the best for them, but loving them to the best. Not making them get there. Because if you make them get there, what they'll do is pretend to make you happy. And then it won't be, it won't be genuine at all. And I know it can be difficult to stand back from a situation and let God work. Believe me, as a pastor, as pastors, we know it's really difficult because we want so much for some people to go, can't you get this? This is really, you know, you want to just pull them in and say, I'm going to lock you in a room until you figure this out. We can't do that. And it's frustrating sometimes. But we've got to allow God to work in the situation. Sometimes that means allowing somebody to hit rock bottom and then beyond that. Because as Tony Evans says, when you hit rock bottom, Jesus is the rock at the bottom. Amen? He'll meet you at the point of your greatest need. So this morning, if you were to go ahead and stand and have the ministry team come. I'm going to ask you this morning. You may have a great job. You may, may make a lot of money. You may have one of these resumes that, wow, that is awesome, Ph.D. and a master's and all this. You might have a great physical resume. But I want to ask you this morning, what does your spiritual resume look like? Because that should be the most important resume that you have. You know, in your resume as a Christian, I'm a priest. I'm a king. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm His beloved. I'm an heir. I'm an heir of God. Do you know that? Put that on your resume. That's on your spiritual resume. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's your resume. Messiah, Christ, the anointed one, lives in you. And you are anointed. You're anointed. Say, I'm anointed. I taught on anointing. I may teach on that on a Sunday morning. I taught on a Wednesday night. There's an anointing for, I I believe every believer has an anointing for something specific. And it may be more than one thing, but most everybody has an anointing for something specific. And when you're anointed for something, that means you're going to love what God's called you to do. You're going to have a passion for it. And even anointed people, if they're not in the position that they're supposed to be in, but they see other people operating that position and they don't think they're doing it right, they'll be very critical of them because they have an anointing for that. So you have an anointing this morning. I'm going to ask you, bow your heads, close your eyes. Because you are the anointed of Jesus Christ this morning. Just because you are, And you're a king, and you're a priest, and you're the royalty. You're royalty. Wow, if we could just get that before we leave. We're royalty. We're part of the kingdom. King Jesus, we're part of his kingdom. Ask him, what you anointed for? Lord, Lord, I've never asked you. I want to ask you, what am I anointed for? What's my calling? And he may say, first of all, I want to get you to know me better. I want you to draw close to me. And I've got something big for you because you're you're a king and you're a priest. You're my anointed. Ask him what it is. 
Ask him what it is. You may be a you may be an evangelist this morning. You may be a prophet. He might have called you to be a teacher. He may be he might have called you to be a pastor. He may have called you to do any number of things in the kingdom. He may have given you the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift of giving, all these beautiful gifts of the gifts of interpretation, the the gifts of of discerning of spirit. He's, he has all these gifts that he wants to give you, but you're not using them because you haven't understood who you are in Christ. So ask him this morning and keep asking him. If you don't get the answer this morning, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. He's talking to AJ, he plays for the Rams, he's, he plays for ASU, and I looked last night at the score and they were behind. <laughs> you know what the thing about it? They won big. What was it, 44 to 17 or something like that? Crazy number? Yeah. So we had to make some adjustments. <laughs> we, we, we found out that they were running certain, we were running certain defense. We weren't lining up right. Or, uh, he knows a lot better about it than I do, but had to make some adjustments. Maybe you need to make some adjustments in your life to step into the calling on your life. Maybe you just need to make some adjustments. Because we have an enemy, and God's smarter than the enemy. Get in line with the kingdom this morning. So, Father, this morning, I ask that you speak to your children. Speak to them. Let them hear you. Father, for those that have been running from their calling, that today they will stop running. For those that have said, I'm not worthy, today that they would understand they're worthy because you made them worthy. Father, for those in, trapped in legalism this morning that think, I haven't done enough good things or I've done too many bad things, Lord, help them to understand by supernatural revelation your grace, your grace, your grace that they can't earn, but they receive it today, for, receive forgiveness today. Father, especially for that person or persons here this morning that don't know Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, I ask you, Lord, just to bless them to step out in faith and receive you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come here to the front or to the back. Find somebody with a badge on. They're mature believers, and they will want to pray for you. Step out and come. If you need to have a prayer, if you, need a, if you have a physical uh, need, physical ailment, we want to pray for you to be healed this morning. If you don't know the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, we want to pray for you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're just in a place where you're stuck and you need some godly counsel, godly prayer, I ask you to come.